1: two guys five movies this is one of your co-hosts chris gasper
0: this is frank Pellicoon.
1: you are listening to the quick cage and frank admitted to me before this started that i was right about something so this makes me super excited for this episode so frank what the cage movie you're going to tell us about tonight?
0: so let's talk about what you're right about first um you've been making the obnoxious claim for the past like two months that i'm painting myself into a corner Mm -hmm. Um, with what's left and I may be in the corner point um, because this week's quick cage episode is regarding the 1993 um, comedy maybe Uh, Amos and Andrew
1: hold on now I'm sad actually because this is the last one I was looking forward to oh (laughs) so this is it this is it for me
0: you're not looking forward to Captain Corelli's mandolin
1: I forgot that movie existed, um, but um, so you're gonna, right, you're, but... gonna re- you're gonna remember it in about five. Okay. I want to hear about Amistad.
0: Yeah, uh, so directed by a guy named Emacs Fry, who I didn't bother to look up because I was so disgusted. Um, co-starring uh, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Brad Dorf, and Dabney Coleman. Um, maybe one of the most casually racist movies ever filmed um the basic plot is that jackson is a esteemed and overly wealthy writer named andrew sterling um who's decided to buy a summer home on a resort island in massachusetts um and on his first night there is setting up a stereo and is viewed through his window by uh, two of his new neighbors, the Gilmans, who are um, also wealthy. Uh, they're white people. The uh, male Gilman is a lawyer, um, and they immediately think that Samuel Jackson is a burglar that has broken into the home and is obviously stealing stereo equipment. Um, so they call the police, who's led by uh, Dabney Coleman um who's an incredibly like really basically like all the worst stereotypes of a police officer so he's callous and he's egotistical and super 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 bigoted um so the police converge on the house uh they end up trying to murder um Andrew Sterling for breaking into this house um Brad Dorif keeps setting off his car alarm on his Mercedes. Um, So when he tries to go outside to turn off the car alarm, they tried to shoot him Hmm. Um, because he's a black man. And the Gilmans are interviewed by a local um, radio personality. And the Gilmans say, you know, it's not like black people can't have money. But if you see a black person on this island, you tend to know why they're here. Um, implying that the only reason that somebody who's black would be there would be to steal from them, mm-hmm. um, which is a like a um, idea that's supported by uh, Abney Coleman.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> so <sighs> they get the phone company to call into the house, and Coleman realizes that the person there is Andrew Sterling who even though he's on the cover of GQ magazine that they'd show you at some point and is like supposedly super famous, nobody recognizes him or knows who, who he is. Um, but they all know who he is like whatever by reputation. Um, so instead of apologizing or whatever, um, they decide to take a criminal who they have in their jail cell. Um, Amos O'Dell played by Nick Cage. Um, and they offer him a deal that they'll give him his freedom if he breaks into the house and takes Andrew Sterling hostage at gunpoint so they can pretend like it was him all along that had broken in and that they were in the right by like shooting at the house. Um, so somehow I don't know, like. Amos and Andrew um, kind of become like on the same side anyway, because they're both anti-police. Dabney Coleman gets in the house and starts casually dropping the N-word, trying to coax um, Amos into shooting Andrew. Um, Andrew knocks out Dabney Coleman with a frying pan and they tie him up and then leave him. Um, Bob Balaban is brought in as like a hostage negotiator who then calls the phone because he wants to talk to Amos and um, try and reason with him? But then Bob Balaban kind of turns into this really weird gay caricature where he's just like telling Amos all of his fantasies and want hopes and dreams and stuff, I guess, like supposedly to try and, uh, I don't know, connect with him, but it's just like really weird. And it, eventually gets dropped and like never mentioned again so amos and andrew escape from the house and make it to the gilman's house where they break in and make friends with the gilman's dog whose name is rommel by the way um then there's a bunch more like kind of racist shit where giancarlo esposito plays a flamboyant like I don't know uh, kind of a mix between Don King and um, Al Sharpton maybe but really flamboyant and really obnoxious and so his thing is that they have to gather buses full of black people to come and protest um, Andrew Sterling being taken hostage um so they take a bus and they drive up to Massachusetts and this is all happening in the span of like a very short period of time um at one point Dabney Coleman steals the cassette tape from the local reporter where basically everybody's saying that well if he's a black guy he must be breaking into the house like there's no way that he actually owns the place so then Amos has stolen that tape from Dabney Coleman when they tied him up Along with Dabney Coleman's wallet So then there's this thing where Bloodhounds are released to track down Andrew Sterling um, Because they have his scent Um, And Dabney Coleman's idea is that they're going to kill Andrew Sterling And basically make it look like Amos did it Um, Then the Gilmans come back And uh, so Amos and Andrew Are rooting through their house And they find a bunch of like Sex toys and like Strap-ons and dildos and stuff And so it's like the white couple is this, like, these super freaky people or whatever that are into, like, freaky sex. Um, so then there's a bunch of, him, I don't know. Anyway, the end result is uh, Amos and Andrew steal the Gilman's car and escape. And Amos drives Andrew to meet his wife because Andrew's wife was, like, moving up in a couple days. Oh, I'm sorry. So all the black people that are up there protesting, they all have flaming perches um, and they inadvertently catch Andrew's house on fire. And then they're like, oh, my God, like, we can't get blamed for this. And they run away. And that's the end of their tale. Um, that's and in the end. Andrew's with his wife, and he's happy, and Amos is saying he's going to drive into Canada because that's always his thing as he wants to go to Canada. But the last shot is him driving south towards New York City because he's an idiot. Um, and that's Amos and Andrew, man. That's worse than what I imagined so
1: i think i've only seen two scenes like from this movie at some point like in my youth, and that's it so this is this is that sounds that sounds a war i don't know if now that i hear you say this in 2021 it sounds worse
0: so this is a movie like what's that one samuel jackson movie where he's the cop that lives next door to the couple and Oh, something drive it. or something like that. Um, yeah, I can, I can't remember the name of
1: that movie, like off the top of my head. But um, oh, so, it's right around this time, I think. Or I mean, like watch ten, it, no, it's like ten years later.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, watching this movie in two thousand twenty-one is intensely problematic for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Number one, it takes a very like omnipresent problem in our modern world and makes like light of it yeah so dabney coleman has no comeuppance in this movie necessarily like they use his wallet to give the dogs his scent basically so then like the bloodhounds are chasing him but in the end like the only thing is is like he might not get elected sheriff again but there's also no it's not like he's fired or arrested or anything right so he's basically allowed to attempt murder on two men break the law in numerous ways destroy the man's house and that's just you know it's just cool like it's fine they make they try to make a lot of points about like inherent bias and racism or whatever right but everything comes with a punchline or like a slapstick gag so it's just really like super so is, are they taking
1: like the Matt Parker or Trey Stone, Matt Parker, whatever the fuck their names are, Like, the, is are they taking that approach of where they think they're going to make fun of everything?
0: No, no. No? It's just that. It's just basically that we don't respect black people in this country and white people are willing to murder black people with no provocation. Ha ha ha. Gotcha. I guess. Right. So. And I tried to. I tried to, like, whatever, sublimate my own, like, feelings in the modern world and say, okay, like, let's watch this from the perspective of 1993. Like, maybe you're being, maybe I'm applying too much of, like, my modern logic and sensibilities to something that's an, a relic of a different time. But this is after the fucking Rodney King riots. Sure. Like, racism is still at the forefront of the public consciousness in 1993, and this is the movie they make. Right. You and I had a conversation, I believe off air, um, within the past couple of weeks, where I told you that generally when I start a movie, I'll finish a movie. Like, I don't like to watch movies in clumps. I just want to, like, sit down and watch it and then, you know, go through. It took me three tries to watch this movie. I had to force myself to finish this movie last night because I was running out of the rental like if I didn't finish it I would never have finished it and I had to finish it just because I didn't want to talk about it without seeing right. how terrible the ending was and it was tough man like it literally the first time I watched it I was like oh my god I'm an hour into this movie and I can't take it and I stopped it and I was 17 minutes in
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling sometimes too.
0: Yeah, the only the only good part about this movie is Sir Mix-a-Lot does the end credits theme. Okay, and it's not just like a Sir Mix-a-Lot song. It's Sir Mix-a-Lot wrote a song about Amos and Andrew. Okay, including name dropping um, the sheriff and the Gilmans and Amos and Andrew uh-huh. and all these characters and like the fact that the Gilmans are into freaky shit and like it's a narrative an an oral narrative of this movie encapsulated in like three and a half minutes, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely worth listening to, and honestly, mm-hmm. we'll tell you everything you need to know <laughs> um, about this movie, and we'll let you know that Sir Mix-a-Lot pronounces suburban, suburbian uh-huh. in a very distinct, like that eye is like super yeah super accentuated suburbian nightmare <laughs> and that, that i i, I would that's, assume that's the, the song is suburban Night- suburbian nightmare <laughs> that um that's a good get in 93
1: like i mean that's like you know and i'm assuming they're filming this in 92 yeah it comes out in march 93 so they were filming it in 92 that's at the height of baby got back like they get Sir Mix
0: a lot to do this song yes and honestly so it, it starts playing and i'm like man they actually got somebody with like some talent because I didn't recognize his voice at first um so it made me sit through the entire credits to see um who had recorded the song which I guess I could have just done by like looking it up but I wanted to actually listen to the whole thing as it uh as it unfolded and I was I was not disappointed aside from like how super disappointed I was with the rest of the movie like look man I can't even tell you how I mean, it's ah, it makes fun of like poor people, and it makes fun of black people, and it makes fun of white people being super racist towards black people. Just That's what like. I'm
1: asking you: is it that South Park approach where no. it's just making fun of everybody? It's, it's is that what their attempt was? Do you
0: think? I, I mean, this is pre South Park, so I don't know. Like, yeah. now I I don't know what their attempt was. If that was their attempt, they failed miserably. Oh, yeah, because sometimes they try and like lend an air of gravity to the situation mm. but then it's like I swear to god it's Dabney Coleman just dropping the n-word and like the whole movie mm. implodes like it's crazy I don't know dude it's I've watched a lot of really bad Nick Cage movies like a lot right. and this is what, like a hundred and I don't know who even knows like what, what number I'm on
1: Here, if, I think this is like 85 or something like that
0: yeah Nah, it's got to be more than that. No, dude, we're on like episode eighty-five. right now. Tell me that we're on episode eighty-five. I don't think you number these things right. What? It's got to be more than eighty-five. <laughs> no, oh. he's only got like a hundred. He's got hundred and twelve movies. I don't. Well, have... Some of them don't count, Frank. Yeah, but some of them do. I don't have twenty movies left to watch.
1: No, you don't. We have after this, we have six episodes because you're wrapping eight of them in the one episode. Because of the voice work.
0: We count these fucking shits right now. What?
1: Frank, I got it all in front of me right here. Like I got I got I got a damn document here with everything listed.
0: I don't trust you as a chronicler or whatever. Anyway, this is maybe one of the worst. <laughs> um Yeah.
1: <sighs> yeah, we only got we only got six episodes left because we're not counting the one where he's a guy in a car. We're wrapping up all these. And we're not counting any documentaries, and we're not like you know, and we're lumping all these voice acting things into like one thing. So you got the Cotton Club left, Racing with the Moon, The Boy in Blue, Deadfall, Now, Captain Corelli's. And then all of the um, animated shows.
0: That's it. (sighs) So anyway, it's pretty amazing that he did this movie the same year he did Red Rock Red Rock West. Honestly, like he's not even that bad in this movie. Um, he's just playing an idiot. Sure, he looks terrible. They did the thing like they did in Birdie, where they um had his teeth all fucked up. Because mm-hmm. he's got like fake like silver teeth, but it makes his mouth look really dirty, so it's really distracting to look at him. And then there's one point where he orders a pizza and the pizza delivery girl is like flirting with him and saying how he's so much more handsome than he is on TV. And it's like, no, like he's he does not look handsome here. So let's talk
1: about Emacs Fryer real quick. This is his only movie that he ever directs in his entire life. The best. He writes <clears throat> Five movies um, In his career Something wild which I forgot About this movie, Jonathan Demi movie um, With Melanie Griffith And Jeff Daniels from 86 um, I've not seen this movie since I was a kid But I remember liking it as a kid, like a preteen I remember seeing it and liking it um, But Demi directed that one, Jonathan did um, he, So then he writes this And directs it then he writes Palmetto, the mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson movie. That's not a good movie. Right. Then he writes this movie I don't think I've ever seen called Where the Money Is, um, with Paul Newman. And then he writes Foxcatcher, which um Bennett Miller directed, and I remember I think it won awards. But
0: um Oh, that's the um the one about the DuPonts, right?
1: Uh yes, it is. Yeah.
0: That, that movie's decent. Gotcha.
1: Um, so yeah, that's always got, but this is only direct uh, uh hold on.
0: Um I remember this Where the Money Is movie. This was right before Frankie was born. So where was I been where have I been working? April of two thousand.
1: Oh, is that movie about the murder of Dave Schultz? Like the wrestler or whatever? The DuPont thing? I think so. Oh, okay.
0: About the murder of a wrestler.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know know about that.
0: Okay, this sounds really bad. So what's the score? I mean, can I give something a zero? Is zero an acceptable score? Sure. You know what? It's it's a 0. 0.5 just because of the Sir Mix a Lot song at the end. Okay. Like okay. I, so, so, I, so it's,
1: it's the worst Cage movie then. Uh,
0: it might be. It has to be. That's the lowest score you ever given. I've never. Well, I gave an NA, didn't I? I Do you
1: did, but maybe tw- two things. But I don't know if that like that's just like doesn't register, right?
0: It's like an asterisk. So. Mm um yeah it's 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 it made me really angry and it's i couldn't finish it in one sitting and that's really yeah that's rare for you that's common for me
1: like i'll i'll watch things in 15 sittings um but yeah it's rare for you to like break up a sit like a movie like that
0: yeah we were talking about you were watching midnight mass and you were like oh i'd watch 20 minutes and then you go do something else oh right seat.
1: yeah yeah um so that's disappointing because i love dabney coleman um it's one of like those character actors that i've like always loved um but that's he hear about he that.
0: is he is deplorable in it yeah like it will ruin your opinion of dabney mm-hmm. coleman forever if you watch this movie right
1: yeah that's that's uh, yeah so i'll never watch it but i don't
0: know what the rotten tomato score was. let me look that up
1: oh it's bad i i, I have it in front of me right now it's um uh... <laughs> It's seventeen percent from critics and thirty one percent from audiences <clears throat> um, so ebert Ebert says that it's not bad so much as misguided. um He says that the movie either needs to be more innocent about race in America or less. It portrays an unpleasant situation and then treats it with sitcom ta- sitcom tactics. Uh, either the humor should have been angry or more hard-edged, or the filmmaker should have backed away from the situation altogether. Canby, in one of those, like, in, like, I think the last year he's reviewing movies, um, Canby says that he felt that the film was like a sitcom writing that quote, the film's roots are not in life, but in other better movies and sitcoms.
0: Um. <clears throat> so, yeah. Nathan Rabin in 2016 said that it's a sometimes scathing, sometimes funny exploration of the intersection of class and race and the way racism works in our society. Uh-huh. That's not true. <laughs> it is absolutely not any of those things. Right. It's. I, I hate to use the term, but it's a whitewashing of racism in our society. Yeah. It's like no matter what, like oh, I can all just be washed away by a joke. Yeah, ah, man. So,
1: do you know? Do you know Nathan Rapin at all? No, what is
0: he? So, white white uh, supremacist?
1: No, 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 but he, um, um, he writes for The Dissolve, um, which is, and I think he worked for The Onion at one point, but,
0: um, Fork, yeah, he worked for fucking Pitchfork. Pitchfork,
1: yeah, the, that's where The Dissolve is. Um, he's the guy that coined the um, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, um, uh, phrase. Um, but he, um, he has this like book out that like I know got like massively bad reviews overall um, about pop culture and stuff like that, and um, uh, he's kind of a clown. So like, I mean, you, what you just read there like about that dude is um, is exactly like kind of like the dissolve like slash pitchfork like style of things of like finding some new view on something after all these years or like this like reexamination, but like trying to. But he's basically trying to like say that like <laughs> I uh, you describe the movie to me, and I know you well enough about the way that you describe things to know. Even if you weren't in detail, I know what this movie was based on what you just said, and like it's not about intersectionality, which is what I think he's probably trying to argue there um, at all. Like, um, and he's trying to make it like seem like it's something better than what it is or more impactful or philosophical than what it actually is um it seems like it's just a fucking joke um of a movie that is uh really offensive
0: yeah um i don't know i i mean yeah it after watching it like in hindsight i should have saved this for last <laughs> so the last movie could have been like the worst movie or so yeah whatever yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, worry
0: about that. So I couldn't, um I couldn't marinate on it anymore. Like I like sure. I, I had a, I had I almost I actually almost texted you last night and was like, hey, you just want to do the fucking quick age now? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can like take advantage of the Sanger. Right. Um
1: Have you seen this picture yet?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen all of it.
1: You seen all the pictures? Okay. I don't know if you've seen that exact one. Cause that's my favorite one out of all of these, um, <clears throat> pictures. Um, so yeah, so cage, um, cage had an incident in the past week, um, where he was drunk in a Las Vegas restaurant, shoeless, um, drunk, trying to start fights with people.
0: Uh, and just trying to get another drink, man.
1: Right, right. Fucking drinking um, tequila and whiskey, yeah. like shots, like just down them. Apparently, um, yeah. He's. Um, I understand people like look. I'm certainly self destructive in some ways. Like I think you might at times like say that you've been self destructive in your life. Um, but it's like. This dude just like came off like the biggest movie he's had, like well, not person a ghost necessarily, but like this year, like Pig got released. Biggest movie he's had critically in how many years? Like, were mm. massive critical praise.
0: Um or, uh, adaptation.
1: probably, right? I mean like
0: Definitely. That's the last time that he's been that relevant critically.
1: Right. And, and and this and this dude's like, you know, kicking his flip-flops off <laughs> in a Vegas restaurant and down in shots and trying to start fights with people. Like that's self-destructive on a different
0: wearing way. leopard print pants.
1: Yes, yeah, leopard print pants, yeah. Um and a black tee. Uh yeah. He um That legs cross position though. It just kills me. Like um it's just like, uh, just, I'll, and then my favorite part about that picture, the one with the legs crossed when he's sitting there on the couch, is that, like, is like little, like, like, it's like you just get this little bit of like muffin top, like showing through, <laughs> like, and you know, as a, like, He's not the most prima donna person in the world, I don't think. But it's like you know somebody like him who does care about image. Like that's not the kind of thing that like like it's, if he saw the image, this kind of thing. I think he would focus on. Um,
0: <clears throat> Can you say bit. the phrase "muffin top" without singing the "muffin top" song in your head from Thirty Rock?
1: No, I, I automatically every time I say muffin top. Now I think of um, uh, James Krasinski or whatever. all
0: that low whole grain low fat i know you want a piece of that but i just want to dance
1: yeah it's just like um i can't ever if i see anything about janice joplin ever like online i can never not think of Janie jimpler
0: or whatever right what is it break another little fuck well, What? what what's the what's yeah the, lyric? I,
1: the, the food yeah uh, i
0: you yeah. know you got it if it makes you, you good food. food right
1: yeah fucking brilliant um yeah I uh, cages cage is a mess um, and uh, kudos for sitting through this movie
0: I guess and for most of these movies. Um, I mean honestly a couple yeah. of the ones that are left are pretty um pretty well received yeah like i I'm, I'm legitimately um, looking forward to the racing racing the wind or whatever. Um, I I think that'll be a pretty good movie. I have a morbid fascination, I think, with Deadfall just because I thought Arsenal was so bad. Um, So I'm kind of curious to see the other end of that. Right. Um, I'm not looking forward to Cotton Club. Hmm. So
1: you want to talk about Midnight Master or do you want to talk about that somewhere else? Yeah, Let's
0: talk about it. It's fine.
1: Okay. Um, please talk about something that's good. Um, because the other, other than the other option I was going to talk to you about for the next ten minutes was um, I found Oren Lieberman's like best of and worst of list of nineteen ninety three. So um, mm. so let's is talk it about
0: and Andrew on it?
1: No, it only showed up because um, um, it did show up in his like top five movies. We would never want sequels to. <laughs> Because he gave it an F score, I saw, but I can't actually find the review. It looks like it doesn't exist on EW any longer. But um, I did find his end of the year list that that was mentioned. But, um, <clears throat> so yeah, Midnight Mass. Um, so for those of you that don't know, like uh, you can go back in the archives and look. They're like kind of that uh, they're marked as kind of uh, whatever extra special episodes now. Um, as I have like kind of redone a couple things in the past few weeks, but, um, we reviewed Mike Flanagan's The Haunting Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor before, after they came out and, um, Midnight Mass, not part of that haunting series necessarily, but it's his most recent mini series on Netflix, um, horror series, religious horror this time. Um, as, uh,
0: but, um, yeah, what are your thoughts, Frank? Um, so I think this might be my favorite of all of his Netflix serials. Um I think that maybe Haunting of Hill House is more of like a triumph or a tour de force. I I don't know how like how I'd want to say that. Mm -hmm. But I think that for like a complete story that tells almost a perfect narrative from start to finish. Um and still touches on all the themes that are important to him like um family ties and alcoholism and Mm -hmm recovering from abuse and um sort of weaves in a a moderately topical and kind of disturbing like and you you described it as sort of Stephen King with with better writing and it's exactly right you know um this character of Bev um who's ultra feels that she's ultra Christian but is in reality just like a terrible person um and the sort of story that kind of weaves around her throughout the entire uh, series. I I thought it was super impressive. Um, I thought it was a really interesting take on a genre that I'm not a huge fan of, typically. Yeah, because I don't um, even want
1: to mention the actual genre. That's why I kind of just put it as religious horror, because I actually don't want to spoil it.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So again, like... I, Net- I, I Netflix
1: think... might spoil it for you, depending on how they categorize things I heard, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so. I don't... Yeah. I I saw an article about today. Apparently there's a category that like it, it could spoil like what the
0: Right. Yeah. Um incredibly solid and impactful performances from all the principal <sighs> yes. and supporting characters. Um in particular uh Landry Jones from fucking Friday Night Lights or whatever. Um I can't remember that dude's name. Zach something. Um, um
1: Zach Guilford is 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 his name yeah um he's and he played um he was matt right matt sarah Sar Sar. Sar-, Sar- matt Sarison? Sarison, right yeah. landry
0: landry's friend
1: that's yeah that's the other fucking fantastic guy what's his name um yeah clemens yeah jesse plemons that that's Mar- yeah, right. Dunst. Yeah, yeah Yeah, um like yeah fucking phenomenal character actor he's like the new philip seymour hoffman to me almost just
0: matt, matt Saracen, you're right um, he's really great in it. Um, Flanagan's wife, whose name I can never remember,
1: Kate Siegel. Yeah, yeah
0: Kate Siegel, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really, like just heartbreaking performance. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that plays uh, the priest in it, Hamish, I Link- was Let- it.
1: Hamish Linkletter. Hamish I'm not familiar with him, but goddamn phenomenal in that thing. Yeah. Uh,
0: so he reminded me of like early, like what you see, like mid to late '80s, like Nick Nick Cave. Mm. um just that like almost like kind of alcohol sweat like greasy mop of air lanky british whatever but just i don't know such a fantastic performance the lady yeah. that plays bev mm-hmm. um super chilling and i don't know There, there's not a bad performance in the whole yeah
1: game. rahul Kohli, who was in um House some blind or haunting blind, of blind manor. manor. Yeah. And then um was also an eye zombie. Like um he's as the sheriff in this is also like fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't really know are. if I'm familiar with the Samantha Sloan is dev, and I know I've seen her and stuff before, but I, I'm not that familiar with her um
0: in terms of what I know her from. But um But it's I like it because it's it's shorter than most of his other stuff, I think, right? Like, yep. everything else is more than seven episodes and this is seven very tight episodes that, again, it, it tells a really really good story with, like, a very strong through line without a whole lot of flashback or um, confusion of, like, I don't know. Like it, one of the things that I think hurts Bly Manor a little bit, and I still really enjoy Bly Manor, is mm-hmm. the fact that everyone has like some flash sideways flashback and it 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 speaks to like the nature of the book itself of turn of the screw in the sense that like it's about being like haunting yourself like basically like you know haunted by your past and haunted by your bad decisions and your passions and i mean that's he does a great job i think doing that but in from a narrative standpoint of like watching a show, it, it sometimes loses you a little bit, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that doesn't happen here. There's only a couple times where there's any real flashback shown and they make absolute sense and they're brief and they serve their purpose. And then they move back into the main narrative. Um, and then the thing that he does where <clears throat> he'll show you up to a point in one Storyline and then reverse back To like before that in another Storyline so then you see How you got to the End of the one you know whatever like how You got to the point where you're at Um, Right And that's done you know Like pretty mid Like most of his stuff By like the end of the fourth episode Beginning of the fifth episode You're just completely hooked into like Everything that he's doing with those characters And um I thought it had a really did I describe this to you like how it made me feel watching it? Mm -hmm. Um, We haven't talked about it much. I don't know what I don't know like film technique he used to capture I mean I'm assuming it's filmed on like digital whatever I mean because everything is like obviously it's not filmed on like actual film stock but there's just something like strikingly beautiful and sad and rustic about the way he films the island because it takes place on um mm-hmm. what is it potter's island or Croc- crocker's island or something i don't know they yeah, call yeah. the island the crockpot like colloquially right um but it's just it looks like perfect i mean i don't know there's something about that first episode when you're watching Like the camera moving through the town and um, basically following uh, Riley as he walks back up to his parents' house. Um, Just brilliant. Like, really well filmed. Um, And again, like all the characters are great. Um, What's his name? Uh, Henry Thomas. Really kind of, again, like just heartbreaking in the role that he plays in that. Um, And that's the guy that Flanagan has. I don't know, man. Like, that's. The equivalent of like Travolta with Tarantino, I think, right? Um, in the sense of like taking this guy who,
1: and I'll be honest, it took me two episodes to actually recognize Henry Thomas in this. It it wasn't till the second
0: episode because he's so, yeah, once you see it, like you see it, but yeah, you're right. Like it's, I knew that he was in this and I was like, okay, well, maybe he's gonna be introduced later or whatever. And then all of a sudden, it's like, holy shit like that's you know this guy but I'm, yeah it's, uh, it, it was the
1: same thing it took me two episodes also to recognize um the guy that played anders in Battlestar galactica um as the mayor of the town do you remember who oh yeah about? no it, I, I, I did yep I, I didn't recognize him at first either like they're like they're, people are just like unrecognizable in this movie for some reason to me like or in this series um i didn't recognize him either um for like a long time um um, I didn't. Um, I also didn't notice that um, Alex um, Esso, who was the star of Starry Eyes, mm, right? He plays the mother, the aging mother. Oh, yeah. The doctor's mother in it.
0: Well, um, because the makeup is so Sure, sure. On yeah,
1: the great makeup. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's here's some caveats about the show. Cause I, I told my mom that she should watch it. My my mother over the past six to eight months has become probably the most avid television watcher that I know of like fantasy and superhero and fantastical like TV. Like she's watched all the Marvel TV shows, all the DC TV shows. Um a bunch of other stuff that i never would have expected my mom to be into like she's really a fan of so i told her i was like i I think you'll enjoy this like it's really well done it's a horror show but it's not super scary it's more like thoughtful and you know melancholy than it is like horrific or whatever um her biggest complaint was she felt like it was a condemnation of christianity and my response to that was it's a condemnation of demagogues yes it's a celebration of christianity like i think it's very pro it's
1: it's it's pro
0: at least spiritualism if not religion i i i think it's pro religion and religion being used in the proper way which is a tool to elevate people and yes you know used for kindness and yes charity and you know, and the opposite of that, it's like a condemnation of which is people that use it for personal gain or to alienate or.
1: Well, it's and it's more of a condemnation, more than even religion. Although certainly I the thing that I find fascinating in this movie is I think it raises a lot of questions without completely 100 percent answering them um, in. But it raises certainly a lot of modern social political, I think, parallels with some things, but it doesn't ever make those connections for you um at all. Like it doesn't beat you over the head. And it actually still raises some questions about those things without like being like firmly on one side. There are right. some things they're firmly on one side of, I think. But um but at the same time it's like <clears throat> there's when I realized like what they were doing with the idea of alcoholism And addiction And how they tie that into The same potential Someone could have of Using religion in the same way Potentially Um, I thought like when I realized What they were doing I think it's the fifth episode It's like I was like holy shit that's brilliant And then the idea that you can Ignore things Like ignore truths Ignore the obvious Or manipulate Your own religion right to satisfy what you want to believe um i think those are all valid questions no matter where you fall on a social or political spectrum whatsoever i mean um so i i I didn't see it as condemning religion i didn't see it as condemning even like necessarily like i didn't see it as political even necessarily even though it has some modern day parallels i could i certainly could see someone saying that but it's like i i thought it raise a lot of interesting questions about how people deal with religion and on a personal level.
0: Right, and to your point, there's a lot of very conservative characters in this movie that are portrayed in a really positive light. Absolutely. And they're portrayed as sensible and caring and just with different beliefs than some other characters. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I think one of the most beautiful endings to any of his shows considering like what actually happens at the end. Like it's sure it's really beautiful the way it ends. It's just and like uh, see, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I get it. The the final like thirty seconds of the show before it fades to black is mm-hmm. I think one of the more brilliant uses of audio yeah. Like yeah. I've seen in a really long time. And I was I I'm really sad that it ended. And honestly, I, I thought it was eight episodes. So I was like, well, what are they <laughs> gonna do in the next episode? Yeah. And then I was like, right, because there is no eight episode. <laughs> All right, right. Um which was good because I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be so bad. Right. Um really great visual effects. Um mm-hmm. again, it's it's a very 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 inventive take on a specific genre, horror genre yeah yeah um yeah. in many ways like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. both just in terms of like the way it portrays it in the way like philosophically and the way it portrays it visually i mean there's just a lot of um really cool inventive things in it um, it's super, super well-paced, very tense at times, um, very heartwarming at times and heartbreaking and just like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great, yeah, great elements to it and definitely worth watching.
1: Yeah. So absolutely like do not watch Amish Man True <laughs> and spend the extra like five hours like watching this because this it's, it's phenomenal series um i think i i'm really high on this like i think in terms of like the way you rank them which is i think like um unfair at this point considering the quality that he's putting out like does to, to even try to rank them but i mean yeah. i think it's second for me i i always have this place for haunting a hill house that like um as one of the best series i've ever seen in terms of like a horror series um maybe the best um but this is so damn good and it's like even if i had to rank them it's so it's a 1b as opposed to a two yeah, yeah.
0: agreed um i i think he's a brilliant filmmaker too like well, i was
1: i was gonna bring that up real quick yeah like i'm right. a big
0: fan of his you know his movies too like i think dr sleep is great i think oculus is great. Right um, um am I forgetting there's another one that I hush
1: recently. I really liked when I watched it finally, like even though i that's not a fan of like I'm that genre oh, I, is not something I'm a big fan of, like I fucking I really like hush, um, yeah, it was lot. really well done, yeah, yep, I haven't seen Ouija Origin of Evil yet, oh, it's good, isn't okay, for as
0: terrible as that title is, and how awful you think that movie could be it's it's really well done,
1: okay, um, before I wake is. Okay,
0: um, I don't know. You, I don't think I knew that one.
1: I and eh, Tom Jane, it's Tom Jane and Kate Bosworth. I th- I'm pretty sure you told me about it. And you were like, you were like, oh, it's okay, it's decent. I'm pretty sure you told me that like last summer or something, yeah. um, two summers ago.
0: But um, and I know What's... you're
1: not. I know you're not a ba- big fan of it. But um, I fucking loved his Gerald's Game adaptation.
0: Mm, uh, I you know I I just don't like Gerald's Game in general. So yeah,
1: I, I thought it was like one of the better movie adaptations of a king that i've seen quite a long time um and it's like they they worked on that movie like people tried to adapt that movie in a screenplay form for years and couldn't do it because they thought it was like unfilmable and this guy like fucking just nails it like i think like for for a book that's that complex to do um like this this i would easily say like the just in terms of like what he's produced so far, he has to be like to me like the top
0: horror director in the game right now. Ooh, that's um, that's bold. I'd say he's in the top three horror directors like working right now. Who? I'd I'd with, put with
1: one or two movies behind their name.
0: I mean, yeah, I'd put Ari Ari Aster and um, Robert Eggers mm-hmm. in the same category as him.
1: Uh, sure, but I, not as prolific yet. I mean...
0: True. True.
1: That's all I'm saying. It's like you look at the qual the, the quality plus the output. I mean, this guy is like running away with like three series and all these movies that he's done that are really good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know when this guy ever takes a break because <laughs> everything we've mentioned is in the past like six years really or seven yeah, years. Or so.
1: Yeah, it's basically from like 2013 on. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot in a short amount of time and he's doing an adaptation of christopher pike's um the midnight club next where he's it's a tv series where he's like working like that concept in with other like pike novels um
0: christopher pike is that the young adult like yeah
1: uh uh-huh okay yeah Midnight Club is about like I've read about it I never read of it but it's like it's about a group of terminally ill patients living in like hospice that meet at midnight to tell each other a scary stories so it's like an anthology kind of thing um but I, I think Heather Lang Langenkamp is um like the um head doctor like at the um the caster uh so yeah I don't know so I'm I'm sure like tons of his regulars will be appearing in some of this stuff so yeah um it'll be interesting to see him do like more of like an anthology type thing um see what he does with it
0: yeah i mean he's yeah he's just he's he's pretty fantastic and i genuinely enjoy everything yeah i mean i i seriously think dr sleep is um super underrated look
1: i i resisted you before that movie came out like so much and it's one of the bigger like like mea culpa's that i have like is is doubting that movie but it's like i didn't really know so much about him I think at the time like a couple of years ago like you know just I just had uh, I didn't have faith in him like I do now and it's like I, I w- would have had the faith in him that I do now it's like yeah it's a no-brainer but um yeah Doctor Sleep I just watched it again for the second time it a couple of weeks ago and it fucking amazing like amazing movie
0: we've talked about him being a Towson alum right and like the oh. Frank, yeah really? so planning in um Towson alumni. Um, and so Frankie actually got to see Dr. Sleep a couple weeks before it was released hmm. because he always screens his movies for Towson first. So Interesting.
1: No, I, I didn't even like look at that. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah. Towson alum, BA in electric media film. Interesting. Minor in theater. Uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, a lot of my colleagues are Towson alum. And so it's, Brandy, so um yeah that's cool uh shit frankie needs to get on like by the time he graduates frankie needs to get on like some kind of committee to like try to um pick like the uh the speaker for um commencement or something like that and try to get mike flanagan to
0: come to commencement or something he needs to get mike flanagan on the podcast (laughs) let's let's not go crazy now (laughs)
1: I think I think commencement is much easier sell than doing you let think so? guys five movies.
0: You're like hey, my no, dad, I don't. my dad Maybe. does this podcast, and
1: well, you should me. you should train him on how to do it, like um, like how to make the how to make the sell. Cause I'll do my best. That would that would that would be the thing that puts us over the top. Um, I have to look up notable alumni at some point for um oh. Uh, Calcine, see who's on there, but uh, huh. all right, so I'm Go. gonna have to code list this uh, as like Midnight Mass Review and Amos and Andrew reviews. So. Uh,
0: I already forgot that we had talked about Amos and Andrew,
1: yeah.
0: I don't ever want to think about that movie again, and unfortunately, I probably will think about that movie for the rest of my life. Oh, that's unfortunate, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: all right. Not a lot This is what I Nick Cage
1: has. Man, the internet's beat. Can't give me quick answers like I want. All right. So, um, six more left, Frank. Yep, six, six more. more. Which one? Which is real
0: quick. Which is the one I am least looking forward to out of what's left? Are you asking me to guess? Yeah. Uh, the animated roundup. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Um, but you're just going to do like a
1: like a kind of like a a review of his voice acting in general, correct? Yeah, so like yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to like talking about like all of those movies.
0: Although I do genuinely enjoy a few of them. So sure, no, yeah, I understood. Maybe even like most of them. I think. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. Um. Cool. Yeah, we'll we'll, right. we'll we'll get that out of the way at some point. Yeah. Some point. Okay. All right. right. Thank
1: you for listening, everybody. Have a good week.